0: Welcome to episode four of The Binge List, Who Magazine's podcast about TV. I'm Gavin Scott. Matthew Demby is still away on holidays, but I do have Claire Rigdon with me. Hi, Claire.
1: Hi, phoning it in from my kitchen. <laughs>
0: As usual, lovely. Lovely to see your pots and pans in the background there. <laughs> now, this week, we've got an interesting mix of new shows on streaming and broadcast TV to talk about, and one of them is our new obsession. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now, if you love quirky but a bit disturbing docu-series like Wild Wild Country or real-life crime investigations like Making a Murderer, then your next must-watch show is Evil Genius, the true story of America's most diabolical bank heist. It deals with a bizarre case known as the Pizza Bomber Heist, which took place in Erie, Pennsylvania in 2003. And there's more than enough intrigue and plenty of bizarre twists and turns to keep you totally obsessed. Unlike me, Matt remembers this insane crime from when it happened. And it's hard to believe it did happen, but it did. Claire, were you hooked?
1: Oh, my goodness. This this four-part series is taking all the best things from Making a Murderer and all the best things from Wild Wild Country, which we discussed in episode one. And I, as soon as I ta- we talked about that, I had to go watch it, and I, I love it. But this takes it to a new level. It's so great. Did you did you love it, Gavin? Because I, I absolutely am obsessed with it.
0: I did. And I don't think I mentioned it's on Netflix, but it, it, it is on Netflix. Um, and yeah,
1: I- yeah. It, it, it is one of those true crime shows. That a lot of them have been popping up. Obviously, Making a Murderer was phenomenally successful for Netflix. So they've commissioned a whole lot of new um, sort of true crime dramas. This one tells the story of just the most whack-a-doodle crime in 2003 where this man called Brian Wells walks into a bank in Pennsylvania in the US with a collar bomb strapped around his neck and a homemade shotgun in his hand which was doubling as a walking stick. Like, does that just <laughs> sound wacky to you? It's so wacky. So anyway, way. so he slides the, the, the teller a note demanding $250,000 and he walks out of there with what they could give him, which was something like $8,000. And this is when it gets really strange. He drives around the corner and immediately gets pulled over by the police and basically who take him out of the car and he says, stop, stop, I've got a bomb around my neck. Now, the police, as you probably would, they're treating it seriously, but everybody, including possibly the man who's, who's just gone and robbed this bank, think that it's a hoax. So basically this, this man has been um, apparently gone to deliver a pizza some man has put a collar on his neck with a bomb attached to it and told him to go and rob a bank and then go on this very elaborate scavenger hunt. And just bearing in mind, as I say all this, it absolutely happened. And here's where it gets really weird. When the the police pull him over, the bomb, it transpires, is 100% real and it goes off and kills the man. Now, This documentary is about what happens next and it's all about a woman called Marjorie Deal Armstrong, who you get introduced to in the opening moments of the doco. And then the whole of the first episode is about what happens during this bank robbery and scavenger hum that this guy is supposed to go on. And then you don't hear about this Marjorie person again until the closing moments of the first episode. And I'm not sure I'm doing it justice, but this is absolutely the craziest story you're probably ever likely to hear.
0: Gavin? Oh, for sure. And I don't normally go in for these types of shows. I did watch Making a Murderer because everyone was going on about it and I loved it. And so, again, when I saw that this was Netflix's new big uh, crime docuseries, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. And I was hooked. And as you say, they, they introduce Marjorie Deal Armstrong at the start and then they say nothing about her for the first episode until the very end of the episode and then they bring her back in and all, all the while during that first episode you're going... What does this have to do with Marjorie? How, how does Marjorie fit in? Yeah, and then in those last few minutes, bam, it comes out, yeah. and and they tell you, you know, where it's going to go next, where this story goes next, and how Marjorie is involved, and you're just like, right, I need to see episode two now.
1: Yeah, you absolutely cannot watch this exceptionally good first episode. I mean, it is five star, excellent. Without immediately wanting to watch episode two. In fact, I was watching last night with my husband, and I, I'm I'm a bit lame, and I have to go to bed at like 10, ten o'clock. And he in the the morning, he like transpires that he's watched four hours of this show, um, from start to finish because he just couldn't stop and go to bed. And look, it's it's really interesting. I. For people who are a little bit queasy, it's very difficult to watch the first episode because that scene where Mm. the, the bomb goes off is taken from live news coverage and Netflix have chosen to show the point where this poor guy, Brian Wells, who to all intents and purposes has been coerced into robbing a bank because he's got a ticking time bomb on his neck. He gets blown up, and I'm, I'm not giving anything away by saying this It's in the news. You can Google this case, and you'll find out how it all plays out. But it is really, really shocking to see the final moments of someone's life play out in a documentary on Netflix. It is There's nothing about this this is, that is not absolutely horrific.
0: Oh, that's right. And, you know, you are shocked by moments like that, but as a whole, the episode is very methodical, and hmm. it, it dishes out the information, you know, piece by piece so you can follow, you know, the, the police work and the investigation and it's really logical, really methodical and it's great to kind of follow that because you're led along their process just just as they went through and the their process. And their
1: scavenger hunt in a way. I mean, like, yeah. so... Fr- I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I'm explaining this properly, and it, it's quite hard to talk you through it unless you've seen it. Mm. But basically, this this guy Brian was given instructions in a nine-page scavenger hunt. Yeah. So it was the first thing was go to the bank, rob the bank. Then you need to drive around the corner and by this road sign, there's a rock next to, with your next set of instructions, and you have to follow all the instructions to get the keys to unlock this bomb off your neck. That's basically what Brian's Brian's going along with this. Yeah. And it's just crazy because the police pull him over after he's done the first part of the scavenger hunt and he dies within a couple of hours. And then the police reading these notes going, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen? And so they essentially have to go through with the scavenger hunt to find out the next clue, the next clue. And it's just all a, an elaborate ploy to get this guy to do what they wanted him to and this documentary deals with why why did the people who were responsible for brian's death do this and the answer is absolutely fascinating and totally unexpected
0: it is it is i I mean the only reason i stopped watching is because i had to come and record this podcast I, (laughs) i hit pause now it's executive produced by mark and jay duplass who you may or may not have heard of. They were all also behind Wild Wild Country. And yeah, they, amazing. And they act as well as produce. They've kind of got their fingers in pretty much every show in, in Hollywood. They co-created Togetherness, an HBO series. Mark was in that. Jay is also in Transparent. And if you watched the Mindy Project, you'd know them as the male midwives uh, who worked it's, upstairs from Mindy. It's
1: insane, isn't it? These guys are just like have come out of nowhere and produced two of the most extraordinary documentaries I've ever seen, and it's like you know, talk about a triple threat: acting, producing, and 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 doing these docos. They've got a very personal connection with this story, which I won't I won't go into. But the the creators of this, are, yeah, there's a connection between them and Marjorie Deal Armstrong. It it just blows my mind that people are doing these shows and. Because they're painstaking. I mean, like, they're they're literally forensically going through these cases. Obviously, Netflix have a lot of money to throw in their direction. Um, It's incredibly well produced, like Wild Wild Country. It's just beautifully shot and it's very, very interestingly put together. Yeah, I'm blown away by these guys.
0: It is great, and as you mentioned, all four episodes are available to watch at once, and it is the type of show that, yeah, secure part of your weekend and and devote it to evil genius. You won't regret it. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. So after In Excess, Molly Meldrum, Paul Hogan, Alan Bond and heaps of other high-profile Australians, it was Olivia Newton-John's turn for the TV bio treatment. Episode 1 of Olivia Hopelessly Devoted to You has aired on Channel 7 and you can watch it on 7 Plus. And Episode 2 is coming up. And like all those other uh, miniseries or movies, Olivia Hopelessly Devoted to You is very much in the same vein. We are taken throughout her life from... Pretty much the beginning, well, when she was a teenager and already starting to become famous, till the very end. Episode 1 focused on those teenage years up until Greece, and episode 2 is going to take us into the 80s and beyond. And the thing about Olivia, like all those other ones, is we go through things pretty quickly. It, it Sometimes it's breakneck speed going through, bam, this happened, bam, this happened. Yeah,
1: they rip through it, don't
0: they? They do because there is a lot to be told. I mean, Olivia did a lot. I mean, I, I was born in 1975 and she was already well into her fame by then. So I don't remember a lot of what happened in uh, episode one.
1: Oh, yeah, and who knew that she... <laughs> <laughs> she went out with Ian Turby and the, he was such a babe back in the day. <laughs> he
0: was, he was. Perks. Ian Turby, come on down.
1: This was a flat out hot stuff.
0: That's right. Um, now, obviously at that stage, um, Olivia was played by Morgan Griffin. Delta was the big star of the show. But for a lot of the first episode, uh, Olivia was played by younger actress Morgan Griffin. What did you think of her, Claire?
1: Oh, I thought she was really great. What really blew me away was that she managed to completely nail the intonation of Olivia's voice. Yeah. She really inhabits the character, and she's very magnetic on screen. You just kind of want to watch her. Um, and then, and then Delta pops up. Like I actually had a little look at how long it took for Delta to get around to being in the show. It was 47 minutes in. I wonder how many viewers last night just kind of popped it on for five minutes, went, oh and then switched off because they're expecting to see Delts, you know, doing her thing. But actually I don't think it suffers for having Morgan play her in the early years. And if no. any, and Delta lovers, please don't hate me for this because I do love her. She's great. But I feel like Morgan perhaps should have played her the whole way through because I, I as soon as Delta started to appear on screen, all I could see was Delta Goodrum, you know, like, I couldn't see ONJ anymore and I had totally, I I was totally invested in her being played by Morgan. What did you think,
0: Gavois? It, it is tricky, and I, we were talking about this with The Crown, weren't we, where you know an actor or an actress or, or in this case, a, a singer. Oh, and Delta acts as well, obviously. She did Neighbours. But when you know someone like that so well, it can be hard to see them as another famous yeah, person. Yeah,
1: like when Madonna played Evita. Yes. I just saw Madonna playing Evita. Like, I am not to compare Delta and Madonna, but, you know, they're both goddesses. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but the thing for me that really annoyed me and annoyed me about a lot of Australian biopics is their bloody wigs. Like I mentioned last <laughs> episode, I was like, ooh, would the wigs suck? Like, honestly, I don't understand why they had to put Delta in a wig, because she's got pretty much the same hair as ONJ. Like, they should have just cut it and styled it. Like, like I just couldn't help looking back to her in that, uh, that Naughty's movie, Hating Alison Ashley, where yep. she had a very similar wig on. And I <laughs> I, I found it extremely <laughs> distracting. <laughs> and, and, like, if Todd Sands can cut his hair like the dude that he was playing, which was just this, like, feathery mullet monstrosity, why can't Delta totally inhabit the ONG hair? But anyway, that's just my personal opinion. <laughs>
0: I think, I think, um, we are very much used to these, uh, TV biopics and miniseries by now. Um, and, and we're used to the fact that we're going to get the whole life story. I think what would be interesting sometimes is if we could drill down into, you know, like a five year or a 10 year period and really delve into that. Like, um, that, yeah, totally. uh, that Meryl Streep film, The Iron Lady, which really just focused on, you know, I can't remember, yeah. like a week or something. Or the
1: Crown? The oh, or
0: the crown where they devote a season to an eight-year period, things like that. Yeah. So, um, I, I think there's a lot of Olivia's life where you, yeah, maybe want to know a little bit more about. Like, you could was going dedicate
1: a whole series just to her most recent years where her husband went missing. You know, and and I, I read those reports in women's mags that say he's now like living on some sort of island off the coast of South America like on a boat or something like he just completely flat out disappeared and you know even the years where she was married to Matt Latansy and and going through a really awful cancer battle and then obviously her daughter Chloe has been in the news in her own right like I feel like if I feel like they could have yeah they could have done the early years and then if people are invested in that story then they could because it, it felt like they were trying to pack too much in perhaps. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what happens with, with the format of these things now. It, it, it all gets packed in and, and we're pretty much taken on a nostalgia trip. All those things you mentioned will be in the second episode, starting with the stalker. I didn't realise Olivia had a stalker, which was the big thing. I think they might have
1: over-egged that a little bit. Okay. Uh, as a dramatic, because at the beginning of the episode it says, you know, some of these things have been, you know, dramatised. Yeah, right. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how, but yeah, I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure she did, but it's not something that I necessarily knew a lot about.
0: No. So, so that, that's going to be interesting. I'm
1: interested to see episode two. I'm still invested in it.
0: Yeah. I think, I think with these things, we all love watching them and we all love picking them to pieces, but, but we do love watching them because we know these people so well and we want to see their stories and we all have an opinion. So that is part of the fun. And we
1: want to sing along. Like how, like. Hopelessly devoted to you. That's been stuck in my head ever since, like last week, basically. And um, you're the one that I want. You know, like yeah, all that stuff. I mean, it, it's entirely the point, isn't it? To it, just kind of sit back point. with a wine on the couch and have a little sing along karaoke session.
0: That's right. And so, yeah, we'll be tuning in for episode two of that to do exactly the same. Who
1: magazines, binge 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 list.
0: Time for some TV news. And fans of ABC's Harrow will be pleased to learn the Ewan Griffith drama has been renewed for a second season. The first season finished recently and can be viewed on ABC iView for the next few weeks. Ewan stars as highly unorthodox forensic pathologist Dr Daniel Harrow and the first season storyline twisted and turned. At least that's what I'm told. Since I didn't get past the first episode, Claire, you did. What did you think?
1: (laughs) I did. I stuck with it like the masochist that I am. Look, I have to say, this series, I I don't love it, but I stuck with it because... There were some fantastic performances, particularly from the sort of lesser characters, like Robin Malcolm from Upper Middle Bogan. Um, she was in it. She's unreal. Darren Gilshannon from the Moody's, he's in it. He's unreal. Um, there's lots of people that pop up in all of, you know, like
0: there's, there's people that. Remy
1: yeah, yeah, like And they're all, it's all really solid. For me, the weak link, and this is quite controversial because he's the main star, was Yoan. Um, Old Hornblower himself as Harrow, it just, there's something about him that just didn't, I never clicked with him and it was all a bit like, oh, let me play jazz records while I cut up the body and forensically examine it. No, I live on a boat in the river in Brisbane. Oh, and I call my daughter Bub and it just pissed me off like he just kind of annoyed me the whole way through but I stuck with it because there were some good episodes there was one about a young gay rower because w- within the series each one has like a little procedural um a little bit like the Dr Blake mysteries you know there's like a crime of the week type thing and there was one episode about some young rollers and one of them's found dead which was really great and the young cast again were really really fantastic in that and so I watched to the end and I watched the finale and then there's this scene where a dead body pops up from the dead and he's not really dead. Like, what? For me, I was just like, oh, okay, so I've watched I've watched this series. I can definitively say it sucks. Like, and actually <laughs> I, I was on Twitter the other night and Laurie Oates, you know, the political commentator? Yeah. He's now retired so he's got a lot more time to do <laughs> watched telly he tweeted some hilarious comment like i think we can now all definitively say that harrow was disappointing i was like yeah right i'm laurie Oakes, political commentator i totally agree with you and yet here it is being recommissioned and i look i want to get behind it gavin i really do because it's australian drama and there's some really great performances by the australian cast and yoan is so good in liars which was on channel seven I just don't understand. Maybe it's just me. I just cannot get into him as this guy.
0: Oh, it's not just you. I, I'm, I'm with <laughs> you. I, I did lose count of the number of times I wanted to turn off that first episode, but I stuck with it to the end of the first episode. But
1: Fair I, thought for me then. <laughs> could
0: could his character <laughs> Could his character be any more clichéd? As you said, yes, he plays vinyl records. He, bo- he lives on a boat. Of course he's he lives on a boat. He's brilliant, but he's a jerk. He has strange <laughs> relationships with his daughter and his ex. He's every TV anti-hero wrapped into one. He's a bit of House, he's a bit of Bosch, he's a bit yeah, of Dexter totes. with a dodgy Jack Sparrow type accent.
1: Yeah, yeah. And maybe it was the accent He was like, what's wrong, bubs? And I'm like, if you say that word, bubs, one more time in the world, I'm literally going to throw something at the TV. This is the thing. He's so great in other things. He was so good in Liar playing a psychopath, which also, incidentally, is coming back for a second series. And I'm so there for it. He was so good in that.
0: But, yeah it, yeah, it did rate pretty well for ABC and, uh, you know, I, I think my mum watched it. She loves the Friday night drama on, on ABC. I, I think
1: my mum did too, actually, and it's definitely filling that Friday Fisher, Dr Blake's kind of um, gap. I don't think it's rating as well as either one of those shows. So, yeah, look, it'd be a re- I, it's a weird decision, especially as the government have just announced they're cutting 80-something million from the ABC's budget. Like, for me, you could save at least, you know, 10 to 20 of that by just not renewing Harrow. Oh, God, I'm such a bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is coming back, but, uh, yeah, I I guess you and I won't be watching it. (laughs) Nope. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. With so much new TV out there to watch, it's hard to even know where to start. To binge or not to binge, that is the question. Claire, what's your verdict on Young Sheldon on Channel 9 and 9Now?
1: yeah, look, I actually really like this sweet little show. Um, it came with a lot of expectations being a prequel to the hugely successful Big Bang Theory, but it looks at Sheldon Cooper, age nine, and 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 it's not really your standard sitcom like the hit show that spawned it. There's no laughter track and there's, a, there's not a lot of mugging for the camera, especially from uh, little Ian Armitage, who people will remember from Big Little Lies. He is great as as young Sheldon in this. Um, Zoe Perry as Mum Mary is remarkably like Laurie Metcalf, who plays the role in Big Bang. And, um, look, Jim Parsons' fingerprints are all over this one. He narrates it and he's executive producer and he was apparently very heavily involved in the casting process. And look, it was brave of the makers to try something a little bit different, um, rather than just rehashing the Big Bang formula. And they really do deserve some credit for, for this. And actually, this is entirely the reason why I like it. Cause I have to admit, I'm not a fan of Big Bang and I'm not a fan of, um, of the creators and, 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 you know, they did three and a half men and, oh God, those shows just really irritate me. I, I find them all kind of sort of vaguely misogynistic. i something really creepy about, I just don't love it. But I loved this and, yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a – if you're partial to gentle family comedies that sort of hark back to that kind of Wonder Years sort of thing, then, then this is definitely worth a binge. Gap, what did you think?
0: Yeah, I didn't love it. Um, I do watch Big Bang Theory. I don't like Two and a Half Men or Two Broke Girls or all those other Chuck L- uh, Lorre shows, but I do like Big Bang Theory. I, I thought it improved y- – y- Infinitely, when the female characters were introduced, Amy and people like that. I just felt like this could have been a flashback episode because we've had, as you said, the one years, we've had Malcolm in the middle, we've had The Middle. It just feels like another of those kids growing up in middle America type shows. But I did like the 80s music. I did love a yeah. bit, of, bit of Poison, bit of Tone Loke. So I, did, yeah, <laughs> I didn't like that. Because we were
1: both kids in the 80s. Like, you know, I was, right. I was Sheldon's age in the, in the 80s. And and um, I think that maybe it really appeared appealed to the kind of nostalgia, the, yeah, as you say, it's a real nostalgia piece. It really appealed to that kind of sense of nostalgia in me. But, um, I mean, also I think because I've got a little boy, um, not to say that he's at all like young Sheldon, he's no, he's no genius, but <laughs> there's something very sweet about Ian Armitage in the way he plays both Ziggy in Big Little Lies and young Sheldon. He's just, sw- he's a sweetheart and he's not your typical child actor, He's very, you know, you feel I feel quite maternal towards him in both of those roles because there's something just so sweet about him. Cool. He's an exceptionally good child actor as well, without being the whole kind of Miley Cyrus bag. But yeah, I think he's definitely one to watch. I feel like we'll be watching Ian Armitage for a long time.
0: And we do know how you feel about child actors, Claire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, to binge or not to binge?
1: Oh, to binge, definitely.
0: Cool. And our second show is Atlanta, season two, just finished on SBS On Demand, and uh, yeah, it's quite a different show from Young Sheldon, even though it's technically a comedy. Now, when it debuted in late 2016, it was compared to Entourage, Silicon Valley, and Ballers, but those comparisons don't do Atlanta justice at all. In its very simplest terms, it's the Entourage of the hip-hop world, with Earn, played by Donald Glover managing his rapper cousin Paperboy, played by Brian Tyree Henry, as he tries to make it in the music industry – it takes shots at the music industry, streaming services come under fire in season two, and also make comment on fame and celebrity, but Atlanta is much more than that, and it doesn't go for the types of easy laughs and Hollywood send-ups we saw on Entourage. Season two has been subtitled Robin Season, and it ventures into way more experimental territory, with the tone and humour changing from one episode to the next. Because of that, I'm not really sure it needs to be binged. It's more the type of show to take your time with and you wrap rap your head around one episode at a time there's like an episode where they go off with just one character and follow his story i love
1: that i love that i've dipped into atlanta in and out and i wish that i had more time to kind of revisit it properly um that's what i kind of love about it, it sounds quite similar this season to master of nuns um most recent series on which is on netflix and is definitely worth a look in fact i think we should chat about it one week because it's it's fascinating Mm. but yeah in that in that most recent series there were whole episodes dedicated to just one character like lena waite won an emmy for her thanksgiving episode in that series have you seen it is it like
0: that gaff i've seen bits of master of none but it is like that where yeah they'll they'll go off into one thing for one episode and you know the next episode is something completely different so it's not like you get to the end of the episode and you go oh I have to see the next one to see what oh, happens because oh, right, yeah. it's not that yeah. type of show so um you know it won't be for everyone but it does deserve all the hype and there's a lot of hype around Atlanta and around Donald Glover who's been lauded as a genius in some quarters have you have you seen
1: Yeah, Childish Gambino, he's fantastic. Have
0: you seen This Is America, his recent music video?
1: yeah amazing. which is amazing. just
0: gone gone nuts online. It, it's you yeah, know get,
1: get, give it a Google if you've not seen it.
0: He's um he's got a lot to say, and you know he packs a lot into Atlanta, a lot of pop culture references, but not you know the really obvious pop culture references. They're things that you know you may not even realise he's saying, but there's you know when you dig a bit deeper, you're like, oh, that's what that meant.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And he's you know he, he's only thirty four, but he, he's the creator, writer, sometime director, star of this show. Won a heap of awards for it. He's definitely one of um his generation's most inventive voices. So uh, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. Like. People- People always laud people like Kanye and Kendrick Lamar, but for me, it's someone like Donald Glover is so much more interesting and, yeah, he's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so for this one, I would say maybe don't binge, but do watch. Binge List, brought to you by Who magazine. Some shows get all the attention when others have to fight for it. This week's hidden gem is I'm Dying Up Here, which is currently airing its second season on Stan. This show explores the LA stand-up comedy scene in the 1970s. Claire, you've been watching a bit of this. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, it's one of those shows that, you know, the odd person will go, have you seen the show? And I'm like, I'm sort of go, y- no, what? And so I, I checked it out. It's from executive producer Jim Carrey, which is really interesting because um, I don't know if you saw Jim's recent stand-up, uh, not stand-up special, a uh, documentary uh, which really showed a different side of this guy. I and mean, he's really not... Not the person that you necessarily think he is. Anyway, he's all over this 70s, uh, s- series. It's, it's about the, um, stand-up comedy scene in LA. It, it's actually interestingly, it was Showtime in the US's lowest rating original scripted series. Um, and I can kind of see why it, it's really quite niche, but, it's actually quite fun to watch. And if you like period pieces, and it really reminded me in some ways of vinyl, which was Martin Scorsese's take on the 1970s music industry. Um, and the, the sort of shades of the get down and, um, only purely from a visual point of view. So look, I mean, it's, it's really worth, worth having a little look at if, if this sounds like your cup of tea. The, the whole thing kind of feels a little bit like a sort of, in joke, I'm, I reckon if you're a, a comedian, you'd be fascinated to watch this, even if you remember that kind of scene back in the day. And actually, um, Showtime's president of programming, Gary Levine, has actually said it's really gratifying that so many comedians tell us this series really nailed the comedy club experience, which is really interesting. So, look, I think if you enjoy period pieces and and you're kind of interested to see what Jim Carrey has done with this series, then it's definitely worth a look. There's some great performances.
0: Yeah, one of those performances, I, I haven't sat down to watch it, but I've been sort of wandering in and out of my lounge room while it's been on, and uh, Melissa Leo is in it. Yeah. And she she seems to be quite quite a feisty female character, but it's quite male-dominated, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and one of the central characters is, actually, is, is female and she's kind of running a lot of stuff and it's really interesting to see how she's up against it because actually one of my biggest um criticisms of vinyl was that it was quite male dominated i mean but purely because men were the people running the running the show back in the day and you know if you're a chick trying to make it it, it, both in comedy and music you know it was an uphill battle so it's kind of interesting to see the story told a little bit from that point of view um so, yeah, it's definitely worth a look. Series 2 is a screening now on Stan, and it's one of those shows that, yeah, if this, if this sounds like the kind of thing that you're into, then you should absolutely put it on your to binge list. Who Magazine's binge
0: list. So that's all we've got this week, but next week it's a very exciting episode. Claire, I know you're ready for it. We're going oh, into I... teen drama world. Oh, my God. Because it's uh, big episodes for Riverdale, the return of the controversial 13 Reasons Why, and we're going to go old school. We're going to go Dawson's Creek. We're going to go Veronica yep. Mars. We're going to go 90210. Yeah. yeah,
1: Gavin and I ha- have got the, you know, we might be 40 something, but we have the spirit of a 13 year old girl. <laughs> well, it's within us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. So, so yeah, we're going to talk all things teen drama, old and new. And, uh, yeah, before then, if you like Binge List, subscribe. Uh, you, can, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Omni, and, yeah, um, follow us each week as we talk all things TV. See you later.